0: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Oh my. This is The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we are going to kick this week's episode off with an NCAA campus report brought to you, of course, by our friends at, at College Hockey Inc. If you're a player or you have a player in your family and they're exploring all their options and they need to know what they need to do or not do to maintain their NCAA eligibility... Well, College Hockey Inc. is a great resource, and they can answer your questions, so get in touch with Mike Snee or Nate Ewell, and they can steer you in the right direction for sure. My guest today, uh, an old favorite of ours here on the Pipeline Show, Julie Robenheimer, and I say that as in you've been a guest for a long time, not that that you're old when I say an old favorite of ours. Uh, Julie, welcome back to the show. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh, that was clunky. Uh, I appreciate you making the time uh, to come back on the show again. Uh, and exciting times. Uh, the Beanpot, last night, as you and I are speaking right now, it's uh, it's Tuesday, the day after the uh, semifinal games in the Beanpot and some pretty exciting games to, to boot.
1: The games, as always, uh, were spectacular. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those things where when the, um, the game matchups come out for the uh, semifinals, you don't know to, whether you're excited or sad to have a BCBU matchup in the bean pot because you want it to be like for a championship game, or at least historically, that's what you wanted mm-hmm. um, because they were always the two most competitive teams. But I love having it in the semifinals because you at least get it. You know, you, it, having to gamble on it being the championship is always, you know, dicey. That's why it's a gamble. Um, so I love having it in the semifinals and, uh, last night's game was classic. I wish it was for the championship and then it would definitely be a classic. But it was an amazing third period comeback uh, by Boston University scoring three uh, unanswered goals. And then BC tied it up again with less than a minute left in regulation. Um, and then BU winning it in like the, the weirdest double overtime yeah. ever um, because they had to have the five minutes to make it like a regulation game. But for the purposes of this event, they went ahead and did another 20, 20 minute, um, overtime period. So it's technically double overtime, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it was just, it was a great game. It was a great game, great goals. Everything is fabulous. The early game was a little bit different. I had a huge conversation. I actually had a chat, um, going on my Instagram. I don't know if you've ever used that. Well, I don't know if you've ever used that feature on Instagram, but I just said, Hey, anybody want, want to watch a game with me? Um, So we kind of chatted all together and there were so many um, reviews on goals, including the potential game winner. Um, And they were such ticky tacky, you know, like I, I and somebody said we should have a timer. And if you can't figure it out within this many minutes, then it's inconclusive because it should be cut and dry. It was offside or it wasn't. You shouldn't have to slow it down frame by frame, 50 different angles.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, it should just be cut and dry. And if it's not cut and dry, then the call on the ice stands, whatever that is. So, um, I don't know. It just sponsored a really big uh, discussion and might even have inspired a blog post.
0: Really. Oh, well, look at that. All right. Well, we'll look for that. Um, speaking of uh, how they set up the, uh, the matchups, how, how is it determined who plays who each year? <laughs>
1: Uh, it's actually done by how they finished the year before.
0: In in just in the bean pot itself? No,
1: um, I don't believe it's in the in the bean pot. I think it is based on your pairwise rankings from the year before.
0: Oh, okay. I, I'd
1: have to I'd have to double check that. But the whole point of it is that they want to um, have parity, so they don't necessarily take into two, take into account two games that you've played. Um, although uh, that. Would, no, actually the reason they have the consolation game is because you have to be guaranteed two, two games to participate. Mm. Cause these are non-conference games. Even though three of the four teams are all part of Hockey East, they are non-conference games. So that's why, like, a lot of people don't quite understand the significance of the bean pot. But the fact that these teams are potentially giving up the opportunity to play another game against North Dakota, Duluth, Michigan, you know, other big non-conference opponents—they are choosing to use those non-conference games against in-conference opponents, but they rank in terms of the pairwise as non-conference opponents.
0: Why is that? that why is that significant? Maybe just dumb it down for a, a guy who's not a pair, <laughs> pairwise literate like you are.
1: Well, for uh, leagues that are larger, like Hockey East, um, you know, uh, they don't have as many games to uh, play non-conference opponents. So they maybe only get six non-conference games a a year, a season. Right. And so if two of them are taken by playing Northeastern and BC, as is the case with Boston University this year, then that's two less games that they don't get to play against Clarkson or Yale or – another non-conference opponent, right. if that makes sense. So in the pair-wise, you're basically beating up against the same people you're already beating up against, hopefully, I mean, if you're playing well, you know. Um, so it's, uh, um, it. I, I wouldn't say it like adversely affects, it's just the same people. So so comparison-wise, there's two less teams or at least one less team that you can't compare yourself to.
0: Right. Okay. Um, Now, with the four teams that were in it, they're the same four every year. Was there a surprise in the outcome of any of them? I mean, just based on their their records right now, BC and Northeastern have the better records, but it's Northeastern and BU moving on. Is that a a shocker in any way, or when you get these four teams together, do you basically just pull two out of a hat?
1: Um, At this point in the evolution of this tournament, you just put names in a hat and pull them out. <laughs> so like, it's not necessarily a surprise. Right. Um, I definitely thought that, um, BC had a, a better advantage going into the game. But I will say this, uh, there's a reason that they call this trophy season. And for the Boston area schools, it starts with a bean pot. And for, um, both BC and BU, is, um, the past three years have been won by Harvard, Northeastern, and Northeastern. So nobody on either of those two teams has won a bean pot. Mm. So it, it's, there's a lot that goes into it. And especially because a lot of those guys are, are local guys. They're Massachusetts guys. They grew up watching the bean pot. They grew up, you know, rooting for whatever team in the bean pot. So there's like a deep personal connection for many of these players in, in this tournament. And for many of them, it's the first opportunity that they've had to play at an NHL rink. So that's like another layer of it. Um, you know, outside of the guys who've, you know, played for Team USA, this is a lot, probably the largest crowd they've uh, ever played for as well. So there's a lot that goes into it from a mental perspective and uh, pressure and motivation and kind of channeling all of that. Um, but then the other thing is um, with it being trophy season, a lot of teams who have kind of maybe been mediocre in the first half of the season, they really step on the gas because at this point there's eight games, eight, nine games maybe before the end of the regular season. Hmm. So there is very little time to get stuff done, especially for uh, teams like Boston university who are on the outside looking in, uh, in terms of the pairwise rankings and the national tournament. So they really could have benefited from a, an actual win. The, the record will show that this, that last night's game was a tie. Right. Um, and that has them at 23rd in the pairwise, whereas a win over BC would have put them at 20. So, you know, there's a lot that, you know, goes into these moving parts. But BU is really starting to, you know, figure themselves out and how they can all be uh, better defensively as a group. And then I also think that um, getting in that transfer goalie um, from Merrimack, whose name I presently forget, I can't believe I can't, I forget it, but I'm sure you can look it up. But um, having him come in was really helpful in terms of uh, just giving them some stability back
0: there. Uh, I'm trying to figure out who that is. Is that Sam Tucker? No. Well, they got Vinny Papura and Ashton Abel. Okay.
1: That's it, Abel.
0: Abel. Okay. Well, he's only played six games.
1: Yes, but, because he's a transfer. Like, uh, so he couldn't. He couldn't. He didn't. He only started around like Christmas, second half, second okay. semester.
0: Very good then. Uh, Julie Robenheimer is my guest, educating me on the bean pot this year and everything around it, <laughs> and writing a, a series of stuff you can find at epringside.com. Uh, and uh, one of them that's fresh out of the hopper, still warm. Is a, a nice feature you have with uh, Trevor Zegris, who I've become a big fan of. He I, I, he he made me look smart because I predicted he'd be the uh, top player for the U.S. the top forward at the at the World Junior, and he was fantastic. Good. in that tournament. So, I
1: love when players do that.
0: Yeah, I don't get to toot my horn very often, but I'm gonna do it with that <laughs> one. Um, but uh, this he's such a he's a fantastic player, isn't
1: he? He's a fantastic player and is an even better person. I uh, have loved uh, watching him grow and develop. Um, you know, starting with the U.S. National Team Development Program and um, and then now with uh, BU. And I feel like Team USA was a big opportunity for him to grow, not necessarily as a player, but more like in the mental space. Um, if you read the feature, you'll read a little bit more about it. But he basically said that being in the bottom six at Team USA or for Team USA at the World Junior Championship was probably the best thing that ever happened to him because it forced him to um, realize that no matter where you are in the lineup, you continue to play your game. And that's what he did. And he earned more minutes throughout the process, uh, led Team USA in points, led the tournament in assists, was named one of Team USA's uh, top three players. Just had a tremendous, tremendous tournament, even though many players would have just kind of like packed it in and said, OK, mm-hmm. I know my role. I'm a fourth line player. And he's like, nope, I'm going to show you what I can do and I'm going to earn more minutes. And that's what he
0: did. Now you're going to have uh, other features coming out this week uh, for the Bean Pot. You also had one fairly recently with uh, Jake Sanderson, one of the uh, top defensemen available in the 2020 draft and um, he's a he's a really interesting guy moving forward uh, maybe tell me a little bit about what you learned from him in that feature and uh, and who else you're going to be chatting with uh, for from the bean putt this week uh, people can read that at ep Rinkside.
1: All right. Well, we'll do the pop first. Um, I know I'm going to have a feature on defenseman Jordan Harris, who also was a member of Team USA at this year's World Junior Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, he has really uh, surprised a lot of people on Northeastern's blue line, and um, and then the other one is another defenseman is David Ference, who has just been playing outrageously well. Um, I think he's in. He may even be in the top 10 in scoring in the country um he's just really been playing so so well and um what i love about both of them is that they're unexpected like most people weren't talking about these guys last year so you can look forward to those on EP rink side now to talk about Jake what i love about him is he is a student of the game and some people kind of ex- expect that in some regards of uh, being the son of an nhl player especially one that played 17 years in the league mm-hmm but it's a, it's a different position so his father was a forward his father Jeff Anderson um like i said played 17 uh, seasons over 1100 games 700 points um you know really made his mark on the offensive side of the game and then here's Jake a defenseman <laughs> who has offensive upside and offensive capabilities that he's looking to expand but that's not his game. So it's very hard to, um, you know, say like, oh, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. With one exception, his skating is unbelievable. Um, but anyways, to get back to the point of Jake being a student of the game, he loves to observe other players and see if it's something that whatever they do that makes them special, if it's something he can implement in his game. Because he's always looking for things that are going to help him not only be better but differentiate himself like how will this make me a different player than somebody with the same you know skills or the same size or the same you know strength in skating like how can I be different so that a team will want me as opposed to just you know a smooth skating defenseman who has the capability of scoring so he's just very um interesting in that regard. Like I, I sat down with him in November um, when I was in Sweden for uh, one of the U18 um, international tournaments. And after the interview was over, I talked about it. I actually posted a podcast because I talked to him for 20 minutes and I couldn't fit nearly as much as I wanted to into the feature. So I actually made a podcast out of the uh, excerpts from the interview, mm. which you can check that out on uh, Julie Robenheimer dot uh, com And um, it's called Not Your Normal Hockey Podcast. So if you want to look that up, too, you can do that.
0: All right, well. um,
1: but we talked about uh, Moritz Cider because he knew that I really was banging the drum on Moritz Seider being in the top 10 um, at the draft after seeing him at the Men's World Championship. And he very astutely asked me, well, what did you see in him that made you think that? Hmm. And I thought that that was such an intelligent question for a 17 year old kid to ask, Yeah, you know, like, like what was it about him that made him so special that you thought that about him? And I could see that he wanted to know what it was so that he could see if it was something that he could do or could do better or could apply to his game. So I love players who really um, analyze where they are and what they have the potential to become. And Jake is one of those guys.
0: Awesome, that's great. I'm looking forward to having a chance to have him on the show as well. Um, Julie Robenheimer, my guest from uh, EP Ringside, as well as what was the podcast called?
1: Not your normal hockey podcast.
0: Not your normal hockey podcast. Uh, That's great. That's a great title. Uh, And and not your normal hockey uh, uh, reporter, journalist either, Julie. I wanted, I chatted with you a bit yesterday. Wanted to talk to you about your experiences as a a female hockey reporter because I see online so many a uh, late uh, fellow, uh, lady fellow lady journalist fellow lady journalist I'm not a lady but other lady <laughs> journalists are getting so much flack and just the the abuse from from people out there I'm almost horrified at the behavior of of, of uh, some people and you were telling me you don't actually come across that all that often why do you think that is I I truthfully I think that because
1: I've thought about this, because like you said, I, it, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I, I don't ever get people harassing me or telling me that I'm stupid or ugly or, you know, don't know what I'm doing. I, I truly don't experience that. And I'm, you know, very grateful that that is the case. Um, so in the past, I have thought about this. And I think that it could be that I cover players, that most fans don't already know about. Mm. So they truly have no idea if I know what I'm talking about or not. (laughs) So I think I just get the benefit of the doubt that I do know what I'm talking about. But then I also feel it's also in how you approach people. Like I really love debate and discussion. I love the opportunity to see how other people think, um, to see how other people feel uh, their perspective of different situations. And I I, I have never come to a, a situation where I, I'm just adamant that you're wrong. And, and so I think that comes across that when people do engage with me, it is a healthy debate and discussion where I am um, accepting and appreciative of your point of view and your thoughts and opinions. And for that reason, most people are the same towards me and my thoughts and my opinions. Even if we disagree, we can agree to disagree amicably Mm. and it doesn't come out into this like shouting match. And um, so that could have something to do with it as well. Um, You know, it's one of the things like I love going on Reddit and, um, you know, kind of engaging in discussions that are on there um for that reason like I'm curious like if somebody wants to tell me that this player is crap okay well why why do you think that player is crap and then maybe I'll point out to you that he's only getting eight minutes a game and he's playing with these players when really he should be this guy and and that has a lot to do with like college guys you know it's kind of in the same situation like Trevor Zegra just to get back to that article was put in a fourth line line role and playing on the wing instead of center because USA was so deep down the center. Mm -hmm. And they were so deep deep in in terms of offense that it was either be on the team or play be on the team playing fourth line or don't be on the team. And, you know, they wanted to have him on the team. And to his credit, he was able to earn more and more ice time. I mean, I sit there and I look at that game against Germany. He played under 10 minutes. Maybe it might have been 10 or 4 minutes, like right around 10 minutes. And he had four assists in those 10 minutes he made the most of those 10 minutes and so I sit there and they're like oh well his play is not as good as this guy like point production wise and I was like okay like well let's look you know as this happens so much in the European leagues and I'm like okay here's this young guy who's only getting 10 minutes a game versus a guy who's a year older has more experience and is on a team that's not as deep and he's playing top line minutes Mm -hmm. so can you really compare the two and so when you you know engage in debate and discussion that way and you're able to point out different things as to why they might be different, it's just a whole new can of worms in terms of, um, I don't want to say the image you create for yourself, but it is an image you create for yourself because I'm not here saying, well, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, no, educate me. Tell me about your point of view. And maybe there's a way that we can come to a middle ground. And, um you know so i just feel like it's a it's a, communication is a two-way street and um for me i'm always up for debate and discussion i i love to learn new things i love to um be aware of other people's perspectives and how they see things because maybe they're right and i'm wrong i don't know Um, so I just think that that has something to do with it. So between covering players that they have rarely seen and really can't comment on, like that's why a lot of things you'll see that I write, people can't comment on it because it's not like they watch the game with me. So, um, it's a little bit different. So between that and then being open to having, you know, healthy debate and discussion, I think, um, might be the two biggest contributing factors as to why I don't have anybody you know, really harassing me in in any sense, but at the same time, I sit here and I say, like, I've been doing this for 13 years now, so you'd think at some point I would have done something to irritate somebody.
0: <laughs> it, it, but
1: it, knock on wood, hasn't happened yet.
0: It's it's funny when you talk about um, you know, where you cover players that a lot of the mainstream media doesn't with the pipeline show. We've been pretty much in the same boat where. You, we know when we have a guest on, a media person who does not cover junior hockey or college hockey, and they're, they're making it up as they go. You, you can tell right away. Um, and That's never been the case with you. I remember when we first uh, talked about Dean and I, uh, my former co-host, Dean Millard, we, we were looking for somebody to talk college hockey with us because up here, there's not a lot of people who can do that. And we came across your stuff on, I think it was Hockey Buzz way back then, and we said, yeah. well, you know what? why don't we give her a shot and we'll see. And, you know, what we'll know whether she can talk about it or not. And, no, right away, I mean, we knew that we could tell that you knew what you were talking about. And you were making the show, our show, better by having you on. So that's why we keep calling to uh, to get you on again. I wonder, was there ever a point, you know, with coaches or other media where you almost had to prove yourself to them before they would take you seriously? Um,
1: sometimes I feel like I get quizzed. You know, like you'll, you'll meet a new GM um, or a new scout. It's usually uh, the older people hate mm-hmm. to kind of throw that out there, but sure. it's like more of like the old school vibe where like, you're not a former player. You're not a former coach. You're not a former GM or team exec or, or uh, you know, scout or anything like that. Like, why am I listening to you? Mm-hmm. And I feel like they're, like there's a little quiz. They'll ask you about this player or it seems innocuous, you know, like they're just checking out, you know, your advice or your opinion, but no, you're being quizzed. Yeah. <laughs> and so there are certain times when I can spot that right away. And I know that I'm being quizzed and I'm being tested, but I also know that I pass those tests with flying colors and More often than not, when they start asking me questions, I will throw in information about other players and they're like, "Huh, I didn't know that. Ah. I'm like, yeah. You know? So it it just kind of drives it home. I will say this, though, in terms of players and coaches, coaches are are usually um, awesome with me because I don't ask typical questions. So... It's, it's not like generic questions, but I ask a question in a certain way or um, bring up information that shows that you don't have to dumb anything down for me. Like I know exactly what you're saying. Right. You know, you can talk to me like like you would a player or another coach or whoever. Um, so I feel like that instantly gets me some respect. And then in terms of the room, I when I was first starting out, now it's not a problem because most players know me um, or have heard of me in some way. Um, but in the beginning, it was one of those things where I always, uh, started with a college guy because they knew me from college, like going to, um, we're talking NHL locker rooms now. Sure. Um, but I would go to a guy that I covered in college because his, uh, demeanor and, and the way he would speak to me would be, um, kind of a sign to the other guys in the room that she's cool. She's, you know, gonna, do right by you in terms of, um, you know, not throwing you under the bus or anything like that. So like, I'll never forget. There was one time, um, I went to a game in Philadelphia. It was a preseason game and, uh, it was against uh, Toronto and uh, Joe Colborne was, uh, there trying to make the Leafs roster. And, um, I was talking to him after the game and I talked to a couple other guys in the locker room as well, a couple other college guys. And this reporter, I don't even know who it was, came up to me while I was talking to Joe and said, who are you? Like, should I know who you are? <laughs> and I was so taken aback by his rudeness that Joe, I, I didn't even have time to, like, really think of something to say because Joe walked in, like, just just stepped right up and said, she's one of the best college hockey reporters. And I'm talking to her right now. So if you want to talk to her, you're going to have to wait your turn.
0: Nice
1: and I was just like okay you know so it it was one of those things where if people know who you are and they respect your work like you're going to be treated well by the people who um whose opinions and thoughts matter the most to you I guess another thing in talking about like people being mean to you and I always say this if you would not listen to their advice why are you listening to their criticisms?
0: Ooh, that's good. I like that.
1: You know, so like if you wouldn't take advice from no name, mean person on the internet, why are you giving any sort of credibility, respect, belief, whatever word you want to put in to their criticisms of you?
0: Yeah, uh, That's really good.
1: Like that doesn't make sense. So, you know, the opinions of the people who matter most to you, are the only opinions that matter. And so, and that could be another thing too. Like I don't engage, I, I've never engaged with people who were nasty ever. Um, so maybe it was one of those things where I just like it in the bud very early in my career and now nobody bothers me. I don't know. It's very weird. But, um, but that's how I, I always choose to look at it. Is that, you know, if I wouldn't listen to your advice, why am I listening to your criticism?
0: Now, how did you come to hockey in, in, in the first place? I know your background, I mean, before you were media, you were, well, you were literally a beauty queen, right? Uh, I mean, that, that's why people aren't tell, telling you that you're ugly or, or you're fat or anything <laughs> because you're obviously not, but I, I mean, going from a beauty pageant winner, uh, what were you, Miss New Jersey, something like that? Yeah, I was Miss New Jersey. To, I competed to, at Miss America. So you go from that world to you know a very male-dominated uh, uh, hockey journalist world, uh, and you do that smoothly without any sort of hiccups like that. I mean, I find that remarkable. But how do you how do you make that transition? What brought you to hockey?
1: Yeah, well, um, if you listen to the very first episode of Not Your Normal Hockey Podcast, I ask my Blood, most popular nice. questions, one of which is how did you get into hockey, um, and how did you get this job, and who am I? So um, the long version is there. I can definitely give you the the short version. Sure. Um, I I grew up a hockey fan. I always say, people say, like, how did you get into hockey? I say that my parents raised me right. Um, They were big hockey fans. They passed it on down to me. Um, I loved when we got cable because I got to watch ESPN and watch NHL tonight, and I could watch other teams uh, rather than just the uh, the local team uh, here in South Jersey, which is the Flyers. Um, so I, I just, I loved hockey. And when I was in high school, I had a teacher tell us, find something that you love and figure out how to get paid to do it. And I love to watch hockey. So it became my goal to figure out how I could get paid to watch hockey. And um, back then, even being a um, female reporter, was uncommon and um, I was you know I didn't let that stop me I was going to go after it anyway I went to school for journalism and sports management at the University of Massachusetts I worked for the hockey team while I was there and then um, after I graduated my mom is the one who um, pretty much begged me (laughs) she's the one who harassed me uh, (laughs) to do Miss New Jersey and I said yes that I would compete in a local pageant um mostly so that she would just stop asking me to do it. <laughs> and then I won. And then I went to Miss New Jersey and the first year I placed in the top ten. And I said, you know what? If I had more than eight weeks to prepare for this, I feel that I would be really good um not only at the pageant perspective, but in the job of Miss New Jersey and um going around and um talking to different schools and organizations. Um my platform was the power of positive thinking. It's something that my dad taught me um, throughout my entire uh, career. Um, he unfortunately passed away in September, but I have been sharing a lot of his life lessons on my Instagram. Um, so if you're interested in um, hearing more about that, you can go to my Instagram and check that out. Um, but I've, I've always loved hockey. So when people say, oh, you were a, a beauty queen, and then you became a hockey, I was like, "No." Other way around, uh, like doing pageants was just like a little detour. Um, and then when that was over, I, I got back into hockey and um, sharing people's stories. Because that's what I loved. I mean, even when I was a student, people would say, oh, game stories, game stories. Like, I hope I never write a game story in my life because it doesn't interest me. But what does interest me is why this player is, is successful or why this player is struggling and what they're doing to get out of it um, or how they overcame this challenge or, um, you know, what, like I sat there and I always say like these athletes are role models. They, they are so dedicated and everybody can learn from their dedication and apply it to their own life, in their own career path, in their own families, in their own life, you know, whatever that, whatever that is. And so I always loved, uh, telling people stories. And I remember telling one of my teachers, that I was only going to write feature stories. And she goes, yeah, good luck with that. And fortunately, I've been able to make a career out of that. And now, especially with, um, you know, more online publications and um, the Internet being more easily accessible. I mean, I'm dating myself here, but when I started this research, it wasn't used to, like, consume information um, or be a news source in any way. So, um, you know, just times have totally changed. And then I will say this. Another thing that helped me with that transition is I did not immediately do any work on camera. And part of it is because I know what I'm talking about. And at the time, you know, we're talking nearly 20 years ago, the only women that were working in sports was the token blonde girl in the corner who asked the dumb question. Right. You know, what do you need, what do you need to do to win in the third period? Like, Anybody can ask that question, and um, I never wanted to position myself as that person. I wanted to be part of the conversation, not just lead the discussion. So um, I made sure that I that people looked at my work before they looked at me and looked at my face and my blonde hair. And um, I I I I don't want to say I hid behind, you know, the the words that I was writing, but nobody knew what I looked like. They just knew that I was a good writer. They knew that I told good stories. They knew that I had good sources and information. And that's what made it so much fun when I would sit down at like a game in Traverse city for the rookie tournament that they have there. And I would just start talking to somebody next to me and then they'd introduce themselves. And, and then I'd say, Oh, I'm Julie Robenheimer. And they'd go, wait a minute, you're Julie. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you know? And then, so it was kind of um, backwards where a lot of people didn't know that I was a beauty queen. Um, there are some people now who kind of like, they love it. They think it's a, I don't want to say they think it's a joke, but they just think it's weird that there's, a former Miss New Jersey watching hockey and talking about it for a living. So, um, you know, I, I, there was, there was no necessarily, there wasn't necessarily a transition per se because hockey has always been a part of my life. I have always loved watching any game, anywhere, anytime, no problem. I am there. Um, but I will say that I was very smart in how I positioned myself as a reporter. Because I want to be the expert. I want to be able to tell you about these players. I don't just want to be the person who ask the question. Uh,
0: how you are going to come back and win in the third period is one of my go-to questions. So I, uh, I take exception <laughs> to that. But. You got to work
1: on that. You <laughs> can work on that. Let's be a little more creative yeah. and thoughtful here.
0: Julia, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate all the times you've been on the show. Uh, cause I think uh, when you're on, uh, well, my ratings go up significantly cause you're such a great guest. And uh, I, I don't just say this because you're, I'm chatting with you right now, but um, you know, getting going to some of the tournaments and and getting to spend a little time with you, like in Helsinki or when the World Junior was here in Edmonton, those are fun. And getting to meet you and you are a genuine nice person, and that doesn't happen all that often when you get to meet somebody. Uh, it's a pleasure to be around you. And you know, outside of the dancing in the press box, uh, that's uh, that's a little There's weird. Nothing but... <laughs> wrong
1: with my dancing in the press box. They say no cheering. There's no rules against no dancing.
0: Oh, Julie, I really, really appreciate your time. Uh, Keep doing what you're doing. I think you're fantastic. Uh, JulieRomanheimer.com, as well as at EP Rinkside. Anywhere else people can get your stuff? Uh, Well, I
1: do write a lot of content for the Edmonton Oilers, the Vancouver Canucks. I started this year with the Winnipeg Jets. So there's uh, a lot of different NHL teams that I do provide content for. So if you see anything about a prospect, check the byline. It might be mine.
0: Excellent, Julie. I hope we can do it again soon.
1: All right, you're welcome. Have a great day.
0: Julie Robenheimer from EP Ringside also does a lot uh, covering uh, the NCAA and the NHL. And as she, as she mentioned there at the end, if you uh, see some stories on NHL.com uh, about prospects, it's a good chance she may have been the uh, the writer of it. So uh, give those a read and uh, check out her stuff at EP Ringside as well. If you ever had the chance to uh, meet Julie, you'll know what I'm talking about. She's just a, a genuine, a great person, great personality, always smiling, always upbeat, and uh, really knowledgeable, knows the sport. And I know she has the respect of a, a lot of players and coaches and uh, GMs and scouts, uh, and she's earned it. Great follow on Twitter as well, so check that out. Coming up next, a first-timer to the Pipeline show. Really interesting story, though. How do you cover the OHL from England? We'll find that out next. Caitlin Berry is my guest. She joins us courtesy of the Troubled Monk Hotline next here on The Pipeline Show. Johnson stripped by Delandria. Backhander, he scores! Short handed goal for the rookie Ty Delandria. It's 1 nothing Flint. Hey, it's Ty Delandria from the Flint
1: Firefighters, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Some
0: people like to make up. Shattering hockey action continues this Friday at Roger's Place. Your Edmonton Oil Kings face their arch enemies, the Red Deer Rebels at Roger's Place. Don't miss your shot to see the WHL's most exciting team live.
1: And cheer Edmonton on as they keep the fight alive for the top spot in their division. Oil Kings, Rebels.
0: Friday night at 7. Great family entertainment at Roger's Place starts at just $20 a seat. Save on day of game pricing now at oilkings.ca.